Hello, all. Thank you for joining us for episode three of the Opinionated Stands podcast. Please do me a huge favor and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have any comments, questions, show ideas, please reach out. We always love to hear your feedback. Um, today, we've got a treat for you. My guest for the podcast today is a dear longtime friend, JJ Paul, and we're going to be talking about horse racing. It's going to be great. Let me give a warm and resounding welcome to my guest. Welcome, JJ. How are you doing today? I'm great, Patrick. Thanks for having me today. This is going to be fun. We get to talk about horses now. So let's talk about some horse racing. Awesome. You've been doing horse racing for a while in terms of like as a hobby, correct? Correct. Awesome. How did you get into beginning to follow horse racing? I lived in Seattle for 20 years, and when I got out of college, my uh, parents one day decided that we were going to go down to Emerald Downs and check it out. And so we uh, ran down there and uh, watched the horses and um, just had a really good time, and and I just wanted to go back and keep going back and started to learn more and more from the people that were there and from the tools that they have available, and it was just a, a great time. Okay, so how long ago was this that you like actively began wanting to go down I was about 20 years old, so I was about 13 years ago. Okay. So that's I'm not going to give away my age. But. So that's a long time. Let's do it. Okay, I can do the math and stuff. So yeah. that's a while. So though, you've been following it. Obviously, it's a very, very educated hobby for you, correct? That's correct. Yeah. I really got into it probably uh, for you know taking a little more time with and whatnot before the races about 10 years ago. Okay. So the main track was Emerald Downs. What's that like into... Uh, is it big horse racing? Is it going to be like the Kentucky Derby down there every day, or is it? Well, you know, people are always uh, aware of the Kentucky Derby and the and the passion of the sport and whatnot. But really, there's a lot more behind the scenes in the smaller tracks. Emerald Downs is a track that just runs during the summertime. Uh, they run about seventy to eighty days a year, and they really uh, focus on the horses that uh, are somewhere in a, a claiming race, which means that somebody else could actually purchase your horse during the race. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the people are really trying to make ends meet and they have a love for the horses and, and a passion for the sport. And so it's, it's a little different than the, than the stakes of a Kentucky Derby. Right. But at the same time, it's really, um, it's a passionate game. Yeah. It's a fun thing to go down and spend a Saturday in the sunshine, right? Very true. So how did you like, so your parents just decided, Hey, we're going to go and you enjoyed it. Like what was your first bet that you made down there? Yeah, I'm sure they had like some kind of promotional day, you know, like get in free or something like that, you know? And so we went down and, and hung out and. Um, my first bet was I had like $2 and I made a $2 show wager on some horse that probably ran up the track and didn't even finish well, but it was, it was the start of the excitement, you know, I mean, the moment that those horses hit the top of the stretch and they're coming down the lane and there's an excitement to it, you know, whether or not your horse is doing well, there's the passion in the air and the the excitement of all around, everybody's got a different number that they're rooting for. And so it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I always have the one that's tends to be in the rear. <laughs> oh, it breaks late. It always breaks late. And it's. His mother was a mutter. Yep. <laughs> I can understand that. That's great. So um, you've been doing this, obviously, you said for about 13 years, just like actively as a hobbyist, but more so than some potentially. Like you you play weekly occasionally, or you're at least always thinking about like the handicapping and stuff like that. Sure. What are some of the first things that you would recommend uh, to people who are learning to A, bet horse racing or handicap horse racing? If they've never been to a track, it's the first time, so they can actually pick their first $2 show bet to actually pay off for them to win. Sure. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I really think that you need to like the horse. You know, if the horse has good antics or there's something about the horse that you like, a lot of people bet gray horses. Um, some people think that the horse that 
you know, shows a different kind of attitude compared to the rest of the horses is the one that's going to do the best. So it's really about finding your niche, um, getting in there and seeing a horse that you like and believing in it. Once you start progressing in the handicapping world, there's tools out there, uh, DRF, TBG, uh, Twin Spires, different things like that that give you the the, the tools to be able to dive in a little bit deeper and maybe yeah. make an assumption uh, or a guess based off of the, the information or the past performances. Beyond um, my strategy of like going into the paddock and staring deeply into their soul to see which one's going to win. Yeah, you know, the, <laughs> the average uh, every couple days or every you know, couple days a, a year horse player is only going to basically go to the track, get a program, see who the horses are. Maybe they like a name or something mm-hmm. like that or they've heard that some jockey's really good uh, and that's how they're going to bet, you know. Then you have the more avid horse players that actually use the tools and and try to develop theories as to why a horse is going to run well. And so it's it you know everybody has a different stance on on how they want to bet a race. Right. And so it's really just about finding your niche. Um, I've really found that when you do start to dive into handicapping, watching video is really key. You can look at the numbers that are on the sheets and whatnot, but really watching that horse and seeing mm-hmm. if you think that he had a chance to win last time and maybe he didn't or. Uh, maybe there's something that's written, not written in the past performances that you find just by watching the race. Yeah, so. you see the narrative kind of unfold, like actually, you know, you could do as much as you can to write the best, you know, oh, this horse broke this way, this horse broke this way in, in writing, but until you actually see the past performance video, it's like, oh, that's what they mean by this. It may not be as exaggerated or um, less exaggerated than you thought of. So Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to get too deep into this because this is the first time we're really going through it. but. Um, maybe down the road we can definitely look at different angles and whatnot that I found to be successful. Yeah. And you've been playing, like, you play more than just your average, like, two times a year player, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so you've traveled to places and stuff. Um, So what is your favorite track to play? What is your favorite track that you've been to? And, like, bucket list, what is your favorite dream track that you'd love to go to? Sure. So I'm a West Coast guy. I really like the West Coast tracks. Obviously, Emerald Down is is a... uh, place that I love to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Spent many an afternoons there. Definitely. Uh, Santa Anita is a beautiful place. They've got a, a very interesting turf course uh, that goes down a hill. Okay, tell, old... us, tell us about this in depth. So it's a six and a half furlong or about six and a half furlong race. Um, it starts all the way at the top of the hill, basically outside the park almost, and works its way down and actually makes a right-hand turn, which is something strange for uh, most American for, horses. For American horse racing. Um, and then actually crosses over the dirt path of the racetrack back onto the turf. Uh, but it's really one of the most exciting races just because there's so much that goes on from once they cross over the dirt path to right. when, when they hit the wire. Um, and it's it's definitely probably the largest track in the West Coast. Really? Um, okay. And kind of the, the number one premier place to go. Is it the largest because of distance for the downhill turf or is it largest because the actual main track too? No, I mean like largest in terms of the overall capacity of the crowd. Oh, wow. And whatnot. Okay. Um, it's just... It's just Got that. It's that place that, you know, it's in L.A. It's in the L.A. area, and so there's a lot of passion about it. Um, And it's really the surviving racetrack in the Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. So Hollywood Park is no longer. Yeah. But I do like to go to Del Mar uh, when they run down there. They they only run, you know, 12 weeks out of the year, um, whereas Santa Anita probably runs 36 or so. Okay. Um, And so because of that, uh, it really, people look forward to those races. Um, it's right on the beach, about halfway between L.A. and San Diego, maybe a little closer to San Diego. Yeah. But it's really a beautiful track, and they're actually going to have the Breeders' Cup there, um, which is the kind of the mecca of horse racing for the older horses yeah. in, in the U.S. 
Um, and that's going to be in November of this year. That's going to be exciting. Yeah. I know that we're trying to plan on being down there for that. Yeah. When, when we went down to Del Mar, it was just, it's beautiful. It's a smaller track though. Yeah. Um, but being right next to the beach and the ocean, it's like, you can't ask for a more pitch picturesque place to go watch live horse racing. Definitely. You know, and, uh, so the, the favorite track I've been to is Del Mar just because of everything else that's around it mm-hmm. and the beauty of it. Um, if I had to choose a track that I've never been to that I really want to go to, a lot of people would think it'd be Churchill Downs because that's where the Kentucky Derby is and whatnot. But it's actually Keeneland, which is also in Kentucky. It's in Lexington. Lexington. Um, They only run there for about five weeks out of the year. Um, It's really a a breeder's um, uh, area for horse racing. Um, You know, a lot of horses are are, uh, bred in Kentucky Mm -hmm. and and born in Kentucky. Um, And so... Keeneland makes its name because of the sales that they have for for horses, but the racing at Keeneland is incredible. And everybody, you know, from Florida to New York to California, they always uh, ship their horses into Keeneland for those those short meets that they have there. Yeah, that's cool. I think on my list, if I had to like pick one of the, you know, one of the tracks to go to, the bucket list, it's like I've seen some of the West Coast here. I've seen some of the. Um, the East Coast, not racing live, but I've been down to Gulfstream, and that's just a beautiful park, and we'll probably talk about that later here. Um, for me, it's like going over international and like seeing some of the what the Hong Kong Jockey Club is putting on at Happy Valley, those Happy Wednesdays where it's like half a billion is wagered by um, people. I mean, stuff like that is like it's just think of it as Breeders' Cups every Wednesday in terms of the amount of money and purses that are being going through there. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I mean, those are bucket list tracks. So, which ones do you like to play? I mean, you played obviously Emerald since you were in Seattle for a while, um, but there's like there's other tracks that you can play. You know, you can use TVG, you can use any of the online services to take in. And we're not sponsored by TVG by any means uh, or any of the online services, but you can use them. And basically, if you wanted to play from your home, uh, Australia or England horse racing or you know, somewhere in Oklahoma, you can do so. So what types of places do you like to play? Uh, like I said, I, I primarily will stick to the West Coast stuff. Um, there are some smaller tracks on the West Coast, like Golden Gate, which is up in Northern California. Mm-hmm. San Francisco. And also, yeah, and also uh, Los Alamitos, which is a small uh, quarter, quarter horse slash thoroughbred track, um, kind of in the Orange County area. Um, and that's a really fun track, especially if you're just kind of learning because the races don't go on forever. Uh, they really have shortened post times in between the races okay. and the, they're shorter races. And so the excitement builds up really quickly um, from when the gates open to when they hit the wire. And it's really a fun track just to go and And there's a lot of randomness that happens there. So really, if you're just a casual better that wants to pick a number, pick a jockey or something like that, it's really a, a good track to start with uh, to have a little bit of fun. Okay, so what's the difference between a quarter horse and a thoroughbred? So quarter horses are different breeds than thoroughbreds. They're um, usually a little more stockier built. They usually have a, a bigger rear end to them and a little more power. Uh, more junk in the trunk? Yeah, you know, they're, they're quicker, um, but they don't have a lot of stamina to them. So uh, if you take a quarter horse and a thoroughbred, the quarter horse is going to outrun the thoroughbred nine times out of ten um, for the first you know quarter mile or so, and then that's why they're called quarter horses. Okay. They don't really have that stamina to keep going. Yeah, they just run themselves out. So, yeah. so the quarter horse races are obviously they're not mile long races. Otherwise, you'd have some really really tired horses at the end of it. Yeah, the average uh, quarter horse race is somewhere between two hundred fifty and three hundred fifty yards. They do go all the way up to four hundred forty, and actually uh, they have one that's eight seventy or six sixty. Um, but it's uh, and those are yards. Uh, okay. So it's a little bit less than a quarter mile. 
um, or a little bit uh, less than a half mile, excuse me. Uh, but so it's, you know, so it's like drag racers versus uh, NASCAR. Sure. Right. Yeah. Instead of making four left turns and then you're done. Yeah. Well, you just do one. Just go right down the straightaway. They're the top fuel horses of the uh, horse racing industry. That's correct. That's awesome. So Los Alamitos, so Emerald, Golden Gate, those are some of the ones you play. Um, that's cool. So what are some of your most memorable races like over the 13-year period or even longer than that that you've uh, either bet on or handicapped or seen in person? Yeah, so the uh, the, the race that really comes to mind that uh, I had a betting interest in and I won and it was just a super, super exciting race was the 2009 Long Acres Mile at Emerald Downs. Okay. Long Acres Mile is the the culmination of the meet. It's it's really the the big race that everybody looks forward to at the meet at Emerald Downs. So it's the Kentucky Derby of Emerald Downs pretty much. Yeah, something like that, you okay. know. Uh, it's it's the it's a mile long race, uh, you know, Long Acres Mile, and it usually has anywhere from a, uh, 10 to 12 horses in it and they ship in from out of town so you might see horses from uh, down in southern california or from the midwest or something like mm-hmm. that then you always have some local horses as well and this horse uh, assessment that won the race he was a local horse he had uh, won a couple of races during the year and some of the key preps for the long acres mile uh, but he was stuck on the outside he was in the 12 post 12 post in a 12 horse field that's kind of not a good position to start yeah especially going a flat mile at emerald downs it's a really tight turn into the first uh, corner and so he really had to use his speed uh, early to get a good position right um, and the jockey uh, galen mitchell who's been a, a namestay at emerald downs for for many many years and he actually has shown up recently in southern california um he is he did a great job to kind of tuck him in and give him a, a chance, and and as soon as they hit the top of the stretch, he just kicked on, and I think he went off at uh, eleven to one or something like that. Okay, so you're getting a long price on that. Yeah, it was a great price for a horse that really had done nothing wrong. Just you know, maybe some of the horses that came in probably had better resumes than right. him, and he was stuck on that outside post, and so um, I just remember, you know, I mean, I was jumping up and down the whole way down the stretch, you know, like he's gonna get there, he's gonna get there. And one of the cool things was the jockey had never won in a uh, Long Acres Mile before, even though he was in his 50s. And he actually stood up after the race and, you know, started cheering and, and whatnot, like 10 yards after the wire and, and just really was uh, passionate and excited about it. And it was really a cool moment to see that that guy who had put in so many hours, you know, jockeys work you know, 10 hours a day, even though we only see him for, for four hours, you yeah. know. Or for two minutes at a time. Yeah, you know, you know? and so... Uh, it was just it's just a great moment to see uh, it for that race. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of beats that really hurt were uh, the 2010 Breeders' Cup. Um, it was a battle between Blame and Zenyatta. Zenyatta was the uh, undefeated mare, the, the mega horse. Yeah, she was uh, 19 for 19 at the time. Yeah, which you can if you go to Santa Anita, you can see the like was it the bronze statue out there? Of yeah, they've got a bronze statue. That was her home track was mm-hmm. Santa Anita. Um, she was a deep closer, and which made it really exciting. She was always near the back of the pack, but as soon as the running really started, when they hit the top of the stretch, she was she was flying, and she she certainly had some close calls in her career, but she yeah. had, she had never been beat before the uh, before the Breeders' Cup Classic, and uh, she's a, a mare taking on the boys, which doesn't happen a lot in in our racing, but uh, it's one of those things where she was just that good. She had actually won the Breeders' Cup Classic the year before. Okay. And so, so had the distance, had it dialed in, could take and do it. Again. Yeah, it would be a repeat. Yeah, a mile and a quarter was definitely in her in her wheelhouse, right. which is the the distance of the classic. And she turned for home, and and you know, blame had a step on her, and and she tried her heart out. They really separated themselves from the rest of the field, showing that it really was 
two class individual or two class horses, you know, going down the lane as opposed to just, you know, somebody gutting it out or whatnot. And she just got nipped by a nose at the, at the wire. And don't you hate that? Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, the announcer, Trevor Denman, uh, who calls down, uh, down at Del Mar now really, I mean, he, he set up the excitement just that it was a match race and they were going to get there. And, Right when she lost, he was like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, Zenyatta just right. lost, you know, because she'd never lost before. She had always shown that willingness to find the wire first, no matter what it took, you know. And so it was really, it was, uh, looking back now, um, it was just a great race. At the time, yeah. it was like a super heartbreaker because, you know, you just wanted that, that mare to just keep winning and winning and winning. Yeah, because you wanted the story to propagate to another, you know, the next chapter. But it's like, it's at the biggest race, you know, you can't. You can't fault either of the horses right there. I mean, you run your heart out. It's an amazing race. It's you get be by a nose. It's like we just saw something amazing happen. Yeah, and they had already announced that it was going to be her last uh, race ever. So everybody knew that it was kind of like her swan song, and you know they'd seen uh, all that she'd done throughout her career, and and you know it was just one of those memorable moments where you want them to go out on top and right. and unfortunately it just wasn't the case she got beat by a nose you yeah. know Sometimes. she had a big nose too and she just couldn't get it there couldn't get the tongue out or anything <laughs> yeah. like that yeah right yeah yeah that's got to be a tough beat yeah and then uh the the other one that was really a, a tough beat for me was uh the 2012 kentucky derby um that was the race that i'll have another uh mm-hmm. one and went on to win the second leg of the triple crown before getting injured before and uh, scratch and yeah going to stud but the horse that I was on that I was a believer in was uh, Bodie Meister. Mm-hmm. And he was a uh, Bob Baffert trained. Bob Baffert's one of the best uh, three-year-old trainers in the uh, in the nation. And the horse had uh, just won the Arkansas Derby by 10 lengths or whatnot. And he really kicked out to a, a nice uh, lead in the, in the Kentucky Derby. He had a speed horse on the outside of him that he was uh, getting pressed by a little bit. But at the top of the stretch, it really looked like he was kicking on and, right. and going forward. And really with like maybe 220 yards to go or so like an eighth of a mile he just just kind of flattened out and i'll have another i mean no disgrace to the winner that he was he was motoring it's a home. good horse too. yeah he was motoring home you know but uh Bodie Meister just really had nothing left for those final 220 yards and and he went right by him and he ended up finishing second and, um so you know no disgrace in what he did and he's going to probably turn out to be a really good stallion right. as well uh, but it was just kind of one of those heartbreaking losses, you know. If you would ask me at the quarter pole who's going to win the race, it was Bodie Meister, and at the eighth pole, it was like oh, I don't know. Let's reassess this one here. <laughs> I'll, we I'll have another guess. Yeah, I'll have <laughs> another one. Um, I know that like so. I follow horses. Obviously, I play with you uh, for horse racing, and we've you know had many discu- many a discussions about different horses and stuff. And we like our horses. You know, horses become they're not necessarily our friends. Like we're in it for the animals. Um, we love it. It's a fun hobby, um, but we get attached to horses. So what horses are you like historically are your favorites? I think, uh, you know, it really goes down to Zenyatta, yeah. um, Bodemeister, um, assessment. There's been some small claiming horses, the lower level horses at Emerald Downs. That, what was that one uh, that we used? I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> I don't um, know. Uh, at, at Emerald, th- there was one horse that my dad and I follow called Yes Bay. Okay, um, he was a just kind of a gritty horse. He could win at any kind of distance, and and we always used to like him. Um, there was another horse. Uh, one of the first bets that my dad and I made together was a, on a horse called Gallant Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember and, that. Yeah, and he was he ended up winning the uh, two year old Futurity race at Emerald Downs that year, and went on to win uh, probably ten or twelve races in his career. He had a, really had a good career, but. He was one that I always followed. You know, they sent him down to Northern California after uh, his two-year-old year, and he really prospered and continued to have a really good, successful career. 
Um, you know, in the in the quarter horse world, uh, if you ever heard of He's a Dash of Fire, He's a Dash of Fire is uh, right now the, the number one quarter horse in the world, and he is just a fireball. He yeah. he can get out of the gate well, and he can motor down the down the course. Um, and he's actually uh, he's bred in Washington, which is kind of weird. That's cool. Um, you don't really have many quarter horses that are bred in Washington. They've only done one or two, like. They only do the quarter horse uh, or the sprints at Emerald occasionally because it's not that big of a track to do it. Yeah, it's not that it's not that big of a track. It's just that uh, there's not really been a, a niche for quarter horse racing in right. in the Washington area, and so um, you know they run it every they one or two races every uh, every Sunday or so um, at the Emerald Downs meet now, but it, it really hasn't grabbed on and taken a hold like they kind of hoped it would. I think they kind of hoped they could get a couple races uh, for quarter horses right. each night, you know, yeah. but it just really hasn't turned out that way. I'm trying to think since like, we're obviously here in Chicago recording, we have a couple tracks that are local Hawthorne. And then we also have Arlington park. I don't think there's any quarter horse racing there that most of the stuff that they try to do is longer distances and then also bring in some, uh, since it is a premier track, bring in some of the European horses to do some of the turf courses. Like, I got to say, like, from the horse perspective from me, like, some of them might sound a little cliche, but, like, the gray horses, like, if you took and look at Frosted, hasn't had a huge career in terms of, like, the Triple Crown wins or anything like that, but it's always in the money. Um, and it's a beautiful-looking horse right there. And then I can go back to, I mean... California Chrome, when he first started, was an amazing horse, and it still is an amazing horse. Had some health problems, but that's been always one of my favorites from day one, just from the story, because it comes out of, uh, what, Los Alamitos, right? Yep, that's, like that, that's his home base. That home base, and we'd been there just prior to that. It's just like, it was really interesting to see that story fold, because Los Alamitos is a nice track, but it's not one of like the premier California ones that you'd think that this like mega horse would come out of. No, that, but he's a he's a matchmaking nightmare. I mean, he's his mom never won a race. Right. His dad is a uh, low uh, money earner sire in California, and his his dad is primarily known for horses that are six furlongs or three quarters of a mile or less. And his mom really didn't have on paper anything that was going to suggest that he could even go uh, a mile and an eighth, a mile right. and a quarter, or whatnot. And they put the two together, and uh, he had a he ran the King's Bishop back in uh, 20, 2014, 2013, uh, in at uh, Santa Anita, and really uh, um, showed a, a lot of grit and kicked on at the top of the lane and pulled away, and that was really kind of the coming out party of California Chrome, um, you know. And then he went on to win the Kentucky Derby and and win the Preakness, and uh, end up losing in the uh, in the Belmont there, but. It was one of those things where uh, he definitely turned into that kind of that special horse, and everybody tried to figure out how that mating um, made him to who he was, you know. And a lot of credit goes to the ownerships and to the uh, to the trainer uh, Art Sherman and his staff. They they really uh, did a good job of taking care of the horse when they had the opportunity. Yeah, and I think obviously the next one that I have that is a like a try and true one. It could be cliche because he did so many good things for horse racing, but. I was on him early, early on prior to the Kentucky Derby when he won it. Then he went on to win a bunch of more stuff. I can't remember the horse that, like, there were two horses at the Derby time. Uh, was it last year? Yeah, when American Pharaoh was there. And for that first week but prior to it, I remember you and I were talking back and forth, and I'm like, dude, this guy at four to one, I'm loving this. This horse has got it. He's coming out, and he can, he can fly. So I went heavy on the nose on that, and just bet everything on the win and came out and won and just had a beautiful race and then continued to demonstrate just this amazing um, 
like just being this amazing stud. And he was like, I think he w- makes me excited for the way, way horse racing can go in the future. I mean, he did something that no one has done in how many years? How many yeah. years prior to it? So like American Pharaoh for me is a, is always going to be, and it's a beautiful looking horse too. Yeah. So yeah, American Pharaoh is pretty special. You know, the uh, first triple crown winner in you know, 43 years or whatnot, yep. uh, 40 years. And he really, uh, he had that, stocking speed where he could stay close all the time mm-hmm. but he also had the ability to finish um you know th- that race was really dominated by west coast horses you had dortmund and you had firing line and you had uh you had american pharaoh that all did finished dortmund in the top off, three did dortmund go off as the favorite uh i think it was actually one of the uh east coast horses by one of the pletcher horses that yeah, were not favored f- i'll but, look it up yeah but you know it was one of those things where uh American Pharaoh just showed the grit. He was three wide going into the top of the stretch, which is usually not a good place to be, especially if, since he's been three wide the whole way around and kicked on. And, and you know, the the call by Larry Colmas at the Belmont when he uh, was going to win the Belmont by six or seven lengths, uh, the, he had, Larry Colmas basically had the entire stretch mm-hmm. to be able to talk about how great of an achievement this was. And, you know, that's, you know, 20 seconds or so. And so he really had his... 20 seconds of fame right there to tell everything about American Pharaoh and how great it was and how great it was for the sports world and in the, the horse racing world. Um, you know, horse racing really needed a triple crown champion. Yes, it, did. Um, it, it was getting to the point where, uh, you know, everybody would think about, okay, this horse couldn't win the Belmont or won the Kentucky Derby and then got injured or something like that. And so there yeah, was, was always, always, there were always, always excuses. Close. Yeah. yeah. So close, but never anybody that was able to just like get over that hump. It was like, we had seen it like so many times and then like there was that big brown and you know in the belmont just comes around the quarter pole and just gets pulled up and i mean i know that your dad loves it because they hit that super amazing trifecta yeah um that paid out stacks um but yeah we get so close every single time i think it was great for to bring in people uh when american pharaoh did win the triple crown it brought in people like us like other us like other, others of us others of us our peer group to take and say like well this is fun it rejuvenated um what had been like lacking in terms of um interest and popularity yeah no doubt yeah so uh transitioning over to it what do we look for in 2017 what are your thoughts on the derby prep schedule um coming up we have the kentucky derby obviously and the triple crown uh stuff there what are your thoughts on uh, what we can see, I know it's the way too early Mel Kuyper draft, uh, but who do we think we're going to see in there? What races? Uh, what do you think about the point system too? Because I know that changed a few years ago and it changed how the fields look. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to dive into who to kind of look at as an up and comer. I think there's a lot to just kind of sort itself out. Over okay, the next so we'll look. Months. O- we'll look at those uh, in more detail over yeah. the next few months. But the point system does play into effect, like. Very true. You know, the uh, there's actually a, a derby prep coming up tomorrow, the Smarty Jones Stakes at down at Oaklawn. Um, and, you know, after Bodie Meister, and I'll have another ding-dong down the uh, stretch in the 2013 uh, Kentucky Derby, they changed the point system the following year. It used to be that it was based on you could get in the race whoever had the 20 highest uh, earnings in graded stakes races going into that point. Um, but one thing it didn't take into consideration was whether those stakes races were at shorter distances, meaning sprint distances, right. or if they were at longer distances. And so what they did with the point system was they took races that were from a, a mile or longer and assigned points to them based on what, what time of the year 
those races occurred. Okay. Um, theoretically, you want a horse that's peaking going into the Kentucky Derby. Right. You want the people that are like like any sport, like going into the March Madness, like to take a different analogy, you want the streaky team. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, and so what happened uh, in the past, and and maybe this is why the Kentucky the the the, the uh, uh, Triple Crown was hit was because of the fact that it took out these speedball types that would set it up for closers because they really only had one gear to go and they were used to going three quarters of a mile instead of a mile and a quarter. Right. Um, you know, and so I don't want to say that it really rechanged the the game, but what it did is it, it made it so that those horses that were peaking at the right time, um, whether they had started once or twice or ten times, if they, you know, did well in those final preps right before right. the Kentucky Derby, um, they deserve a, st- a starting spot whether or not there was uh, enough money that they had earned to get in there because right. not all races are the same purse. Exactly. And so you found that some horses went to certain races because of the fact of, of the purse and not because of the, uh, you know, just maybe they want to stay at home, but the home track doesn't have the same purse that mm-hmm. the one, you know, f- four or five states up the road does well, have. Yeah, and I mean, going back to your point of if they want to run a three-quarter mile, all the derby races are pri- – or all the – Triple crown races are well over a mile. So a six furlong horse specialist is not going to, it's just going to get completely romped. They're going to be in these races. They're going to be that rabbit out there to set the field. And then these closers will just stalk them. So now that you have those, some of those horses that are those speed balls out of the race, it's more of a, it's a more of an even race going into it. So yeah. So, yeah. And I definitely don't think you're going to wait another 40 years for a triple crown winner. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year or the next year. Um, but I think you're going to find probably within the next decade uh, that there'll probably be another Triple Crown winner. There are special horses out there. There have been special horses that haven't won the Triple Crown. You know, it's not necessarily that um, you're the best horse if you do win the Triple Crown. Sometimes it's a matter of luck. But those are really good horses that end up uh, at least winning the first two legs of it. Right. Um, and at least getting to Belmont for that mile and a half track. It, it's ridiculously hard to win a horse race. Mm-hmm. Um, like. And if you're a triple crown winner, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be the Breeders' Cup Classic winner either. Like, not, not two, except for one American Pharaoh, right? right? I mean, and that's a that's a three year old. That was a grand slam. Yeah, that's a three year old beating all all the big dogs and all of the horses. So that just shows you again how special of a horse that was. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but you know, they're three year olds; they're younger. So does a does a triple crown winner? Or even a horse that goes in and wins early on in their career, like in their three-year-old season. Um, do you expect them to be in that grade one stakes kind of like field for the rest of their career and be focused on being in the Breeders' Club Classic or the Turf Classic or the Sprints? Um, does it equate or is it like... Yeah, because it, it kind of goes back to finding your niche, right? As a handicapper, we we try to find our niche. You know, what are we good at and, and stick to it? That's the way to make money, right? right. So um, when it comes to horse racing, it's the same thing. If you have a horse that's really good at one thing, keep keep doing it. Yeah. You know, you're going to keep winning. Look at California Chrome. They don't turn it back to sprints at all. They don't. They tried him on the grass one time. He won. It wasn't against the quality field. Right. But... You know, it, it it basically, if you find a niche for a horse, you should keep doing that, and that's the way to make money. Owners are out there to make money. Right. You know? It's a business to them, yeah. too. They love exactly. the animals, but at the end of the day, you have to take and turn this investment into yeah. return. And classic races in, in North American uh, horse racing are at distances of, you know, a mile and eighth, mile and a quarter, and whatnot. And so those are usually the most prestigious. They're also the ones that uh, have a, the most dollars that go along with them. Okay. Um, and so there's really... Um, if you have a horse that can win a, a triple crown race, I would 
certainly think that that's the way you want to go until he doesn't win a couple more. And yeah, until he proves that and then drop them down into different stakes levels at that point. Well, usually time. at that point, they'll end up retiring the horse just because there's such so much money in the breeding world. Right. Um, I mean, we haven't even touched the scratch the surface of what that impacts, uh, impacts for horse racing. Yeah, and you know, I have a negative stance on breeding just for the pure purpose that it, some of the horses do get taken away too early from early, from yeah. the from the the track, and one of the things with North American horse racing is that some of these field sizes show up really small, and it's really because um, you know there's not enough horses that that are bred, and some people think that by having more stallions and more mares that do breeding that it's going to raise the population, but I also think that um, when you've got some good ones that maybe aren't the the best and whatnot, right. um, we should we should run them, you know, and let them let them win and and let them do good and. You know, you can increase their value. Sure, there's the option, the opportunity, or or the instance where somebody could get hurt or whatnot. But I think that's the same with every uh, sport out there. Right. You know, uh, people don't retire in basketball um, because they might get hurt. You know. Yeah. Now in the NFL, sometimes they do just because of the concussions and whatnot. But you're starting to see a little bit of that in college football with yeah. the draft and the money coming there. But that's like we could talk about that for days, probably, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and many many other episodes here. Yeah. Um, want to keep it back onto like the 2017 and what we're like looking forward to like in the future because I have a feeling this is going to be a fun year for horse racing. I think we're going to see an interesting Derby prep season. I have no clue who to pick in uh, any of these races coming out, but what races should like? What are the key races that we should look for in this Derby prep season to start to see the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown field start to solidify? Well, you know the uh, the biggest races for the Derby uh, in terms of points are the races right before the Derby, about a month to a month and a half before. Uh, they start out with the UAE Derby, which is in uh, Dubai. Um, and the winner of that gets 100 points. And uh, I think in the past, it's been somewhere around 40 points or so to get into the Derby. So anybody okay. that wins one of those major preps, even some of the 50-point races should assure uh, a starting spot. But um, you only get one winner in those races, right. right? Whereas if you get second, even in some of these major preps, then you end up with 40 points right there. And so theoretically you should have hopefully a couple more points from previous races and whatnot and be able to solidify your spot yeah, so- in the Kentucky Derby. There are some races that I think are more key than others in those hundred point systems. Um, the Florida Derby, which is where uh, Nyquist ran yeah. last year and ended up winning the uh, Kentucky Derby after that big race that comes out of Gulfstream. Yep. The Santa Anita Derby, um, that that's uh, down in California, and um, that's always been a prestigious race in terms of getting the horses the the prep that they need into the Kentucky Derby. Right. Not only do you want to give them a prep and get them going, but you'd like to get them to you know maybe learn a little something during that race as right. well. So I mean, it's, the, a, it's a great track. The surface is very much similar to what you'll see at Churchill, and it happens you know the first or what is it that first week of April. So the winner of that can then you know start to ship back because if you won that you know you're in yeah definitely you you, if you take second in that you're probably close to being in so you know that at that point you can start to ship back and prepare for the transition get the horse over to churchill um to take and start to train over that surface as well yeah one of the interesting things i thought uh that has been kind of a newer scheme with this point system is to try to get some points early on in the season so that you can give your horse your horse the uh the winter or the early spring off and get them started, you know, in kind of that March to April time frame, Right. So that they're not overused by the time they get to the Derby and that they have a little bit more in the tank after the Derby as well. Right. You know, you, it's what is it? Five weeks 
after it to uh, the Preakness and then five more weeks no, to the Belmont? No, it's, it's two weeks uh, to the Preakness and then three weeks okay. until the Belmont. So Sorry, it's a, I was getting it's the, a total of five weeks. Yeah, I was getting the ho- I was trying to figure out the, yeah. the holidays, you know, because it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, and then... Father's Day is a culmination. Yeah, so. and something in the middle. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm horrible with the holidays right now. <laughs> um, so obviously with these 100 points, 40 points, and so on, it really, like these owners have to think of it almost as having kind of like a meta strategy of going into like picking which race they want to go into. Um, because, you know, if you're going to Turfway or Gulfstream or Aqueduct or Keeneland or Santa Anita or Oaklawn, you have to ship your horses around um, and you have to have them fresh and horses aren't like humans. Like anybody can get sick traveling around the country, let alone just like these horses. So how do you take in, as an owner, like what strategy would you try to do if you had a up and coming three year old? I think the one thing that I've learned over the years is the horses that don't have a plan don't do well right. when they get shipped somewhere. Um, if you hear a trainer say, here's our schedule for the Kentucky Derby, we're going to go to this race and then we're going to go to this race. And if all goes well, we're going to go to the Kentucky Derby. Um, then they already have their mindset of what they need to do to get the horse to the first race right. and to get them to the second race and to get them to the Derby. When you start hearing, okay, the, this horse was going to go here, but now he's going to go here, and yada, 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 it's, it's kind of like a crapshoot. The horses usually don't run well because they don't have the proper preparation. Sometimes they, they run a different week than they were right. going to run. Um, and sure, you know, just like you said, anytime that you're shipping to a different part of the country, um, I know from the travel I do that, you know, you don't always feel the same at every single climate, right. you know. Uh, you may come out of California where it's nice and sunny and head over to uh, New York where it's snowing, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so um, you just kind of have to see what, what happens with that. Yeah. And obviously one of the key races always is going to be the Arkansas Derby because that's the last ditch effort for people to get in. That's the last, what I consider the 100-point premier race to get in for it. Um, I can't remember who came out of the Arkansas Derby last year. Uh, last year was American Pharaoh. Yep, exactly. I did remember that. Yeah. And then also... Um, <laughs> I was teasing you. <laughs> and then also you had Bodie Meister a couple yeah. years ago that was also... that's uh, Bob Baffert at Oaklawn Park is uh, kind of incredible. I think he's got like a 65% win, win uh, percentage in the uh, three-year-old stakes races. And so when Baffert ships over there... Uh, he's got a plan and a purpose, and and usually the, those end up being the horses that he sends to, uh, to the Derby. Yeah, it's a tactile like decision because you think about it. Arkansas to Kentucky is not that far. If you're gonna have a horse that's doing it, you can get your horse a week later, a run. Mm-hmm. You know, you take and get them already on the eastern part of the United States. You don't have to ship them from Santa Anita. Um, I think it's a great move for it, and definitely see quality horses coming out of there. Um, so outside of derby prep, we know that there's races that continue to go on. I mean, you could be excited about the Long Acres Mile this year or other races, the Breeders' Cup. Uh, what races are you excited for in 2017? Uh, derby prep, not withholding. Well, coming up, you got the uh, Pegasus World Cup. It's the first ever Pegasus World Cup. It's, it's yeah. a $12 million race, uh, which is the richest race in the world. Um, each owner is uh, required to put up a million dollars for That's their insane. starting slot. And they're not actually even required to pick a horse until um, you know the entries are drawn or right before the entries are, are drawn. Yeah. And they're just basically buying their slot in, yeah. in, in it, you know. And then they could sell some of those shares or whatnot to somebody else or to, you know, an owner of a horse to get the horse in there. Um, but it's really turning out to be what should be a two-horse race, and right. that's between uh, Arrogate, who won the Breeders' Cup Classic this past year, 
and then also um, California Chrome. Well, let me tease this a little bit here. So sure. the Pegasus is going to be on Saturday, January 28th. It's the final race of a card at Gulfstream that looks like it's going to be one, two, three, four, seven races, seven um, different races valuing from $125,000 purse to a $12 million purse. Uh, some of the key things is it's mile and eighth on the dirt. Um, seven million goes to the winner. You're going to be able to watch that on NBC. Again, NBC's not paying us to say that, but the contenders that they have coming in, uh, as of this Fox Sports article that I'm reading right now, is uh, is Arrogate, who uh, 2016 Traverse Stakes in the Breeders' Cup Classic winner last year, beast of a horse, breaking and lucky. Then we have California Chrome, which we've all heard of, is who is a mega horse right now. Arrogant. Uh, Gunrunner, Keen Ice, Neolithic, Shaman Ghost, War Envy, and War Story. And there's going to be more to come uh, as we get closer. Like, again, so what do you th- you think this is going to be more of a two-horse field? Yeah, I think ultimately it is. Uh, I mean, the the match race that Arrogate and California Chrome had in the, in the um, Breeders' Cup Classic this past November mm-hmm. was incredible. Um, both horses got really high speed figures compared to what anybody in this field has ever ran. Um, and they both have kind of tactical speed to be able to distance themselves from, from the other, uh, horses in the race. So, um, I'm sure everybody's, you know, a lot of people out there will be trying to beat them and whatnot, or maybe they'll just be trying to beat one of them with, with the other one or whatnot. But it, um, it's California Chrome's final race of his career. Uh, He's going to go off to the breeding shed afterwards and, and it very well could be arrogance as well. Um, you know, I mean, you have that, you put that win on your resume. That's a big thing to have in terms of the breedings. Well, yeah, especially after winning the, the breeders club classic at the same time, you know? So the one thing going for, uh, California Chrome in this race, as opposed to the breeders club classic is that it's a mile and an eighth. So it's a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. um, which should enable him to, to have a little bit left in the tank, right. um, for that stretch drive. Whereas he just kind of looked like he ran out of gas at the eighth pole, um, in the breeders cup classic. Right. So, um, but you know, and a mile and eighth could bring other horses into this picture as well, as opposed to a mile and a quarter, which kind of tends to distance uh, the runners out based on class and, and skill and whatnot. Yeah, and then we're going to be at the end of January. It's going to be South Florida. It's going to be uh, Hallandale Beach. That's where Gulfstream is, and it's going to be hot. So, sure. I mean, these horses could just get tired. You have to ship them. Um, and this isn't a race that's going to be in the Derby prep. This is just a basically a, this is anybody can enter if you you know chalk up the money for it. Yeah, and I think it's uh, somewhere between five and six million to the winner, which is uh, yeah. This article is saying seven million, so seven that's going to get yeah. a lot of people to want to go for that. One of the things to think about with California Chrome, like if you're going to look at this horse going here, like I've I saw a video that he shipped yesterday or was taking a taking some <laughs> something over the track, uh, taking a trip over the track yesterday. People can look at his um, his works and sometimes remember what happened after the. Uh, triple crown season he had um and he lost the belmont and then he kind of got sick and kind of was shipped around everywhere what do people need to know going into these this final race with him is he in that same where where he's not doing as well is he a stronger horse now um like because i know for a while it seemed like there was disorganization um in his camp yeah you know i think that that ship has been righted um the previous ownership uh, partners had uh, kind of been indecisive as to what they wanted to do, but they wanted to give California Chrome the world and give him, show, give him the tour, you know, and, and take him to all these different places. And so 
after they uh, sent him to the Dubai World Cup uh, a couple years ago, they they wanted to send him to Royal Ascot, which is one of the premier grass uh, racing festivals over there in England. And he got sick. Uh, he lost some weight. He had a little bit of a, uh, a bruise issue on, mm-hmm. on one of his feet. Um, and he wasn't able to make the race and really uh, was off for a year um, while he was trying to get better and trying to get him back into racing shape. Um, and so now that he's back in America and he's under the care of the, the same trainer now that, that he's always had through the Kentucky Derby and, right. and whatnot, he is uh, a much better horse. He's a stronger horse. Um, he has one tendency where he doesn't like to race inside of horses, and that kind of seems to be his, his nemesis usually. Um, but you know the I think the jockey's well aware of it now, and so he, right. he does a pretty good job to keep him on the outside. And who's going to get the mount again? Uh, Victor Espinoza, who, who's Espinoza. been a money rider the last couple of years. You know, he was the uh, jockey aboard American Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just and like I can't say anything bad about Victor. I think he's one of the best jockeys. He gets these mounts because he knows what he's doing. And um, any any of the races that I've seen recently with him on major mounts has been he's ridden them to perfection. So yeah, he really does a good job. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So. Basically, what you're saying for the Pegasus, if you want to take and do your homework, start really looking and digging into the 2016 Breeders' Cup Classic and see how that broke down and then start adding other horses back into the field. Because um, California Chrome needs to look at Keen Ice. There's a couple of these horses that were on the uh, Kentucky Derby prep last year that might be, you know, that might be someone's to look at. Like, you never know, right? You never know how people are going to respond in, or the horses are going to respond in this race. Yeah, very true. Yeah, so what are some other races? The Pegasus is coming up now, but 2017 just got started. We gotta have uh, we gotta have some more excitement here. Yeah, you know we've got the uh, obviously we've got the Kentucky Derby and the and the classic races uh, that'll come up in May and June. Uh, then you get into some of the uh, three year old um, late summer races, right. and those are usually exciting. That's where Arrogate got his start uh, before winning the Breeders' Cup Classic mm-hmm. last year. Um, you know, the British Cup, uh, British Cup championships are in November down in Del Mar. Right. Uh, like we talked about earlier. And so those are something to look forward to. Um, you know, and really there's just a lot of fun racing during the summertime. Yeah. Uh, one thing I notice when I look at the, uh, ADW websites out there is that the amount of tracks that run during the summertime is like double from, yeah. from the tracks that run in the wintertime. Well, everybody likes to go have fun out in the summer. Exactly. You know, so whether you live in Illinois or you live in Florida, or you live in New York, or you live in California or whatnot, there's a track for you, right. you know, so it doesn't have to be a premier track that you go to, to go check it out or whatnot. You can literally go down the street a lot of times and go for a night and have a good time and, you know, bring your wife, girlfriend or whatnot, or bring your husband, you know, yeah. and, uh, and check it out and, and have a good time. Yeah. I mean, I love going out to Arlington. It's a fun blast. I mean, we're in Chicago, you take the train out and people, they let you drink on the train and you get to go out there and have a rowdy time. It's a great day, uh, spent out at, there at the track. I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is obviously Arlington Park is the home track here for me where I go to occasionally. Um, very unsuccessful, better at that track. Can't pick a winner, but I love going out there having a good time. And the Arlington Million in August is always a premier race for us here. Usually it's either the most gorgeous sunny day or it's just downpouring and they take it off the turf. But that's a race that we've seen with uh, the Pizza Man winning a couple years ago and all that stuff. I think, yeah, for me, I'm looking forward to uh, the Breeders' Cup class or the Breeders' Cup as well at Del Mar this year. Um, how does the Breeders' Cup, how, do, how is the Breeders' Cup different than the other horse racing, like the premier sessions of horse racing? Because I know that 
some people might understand what the Kentucky Derby weekend has, but how's the Breeders' Cup different than that? Uh, it's you know it's a bunch of Grade One races, which are the the most premier races, and they're different distances and age groups and and categories and even surfaces. You know, you have some races on the turf and some on the dirt. Um, sprints, which are you know less than a mile, and and uh, route races over a mile, um, and so. You know, there's 13 different races over the course of two days that that make up the actual Breeders' Cup. There are other under undercard races that right. that go on as well, um, but it's something that uh, you get horses from all over the nation, and in the case of some of the turf races, um, you get horses from all over the world. Right. So you really get to see those those champion horses that that have excelled in their niche or their group that they usually run in and now they're ready to take on the rest of the world yeah it's the all-stars of the all-stars in the best of their field taking for two days and it's perfect timing because it gets right before you know horses go off to stud or go there's actually a a uh, keeneland sale um or an obs sale that's right after the uh, breeders cup like a, a week later and so um you know some horses go into that sale um, and just by winning a Breeders Cup race, now they're going to fetch somewhere close to a million dollars, as opposed to two hundred fifty thousand or whatnot. You know, so it really is perfect timing um, to to have those Breeders Breeders Cup races right before kind of the breeding season starts. Yeah, and and you know horses uh, increase their value during that as well. That's cool. So uh, as we close and do a couple of little like recap and summary stuff, how does some so the Pegasus is obviously coming up. That's going to be a big race. That's going to be televised on NBC. Uh, how do people start to learn to handicap a little bit before that race or what should people do? Should they go onto a website and just deposit money or what do you, what do you recommend? No, I definitely wouldn't recommend just going on a website and depositing money. But what I would say is, you know, if you've never really gotten into horse racing before, read some articles. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can read about the different horses and whatnot. Um, and really, if you're going to bet on those, those races or, or whatnot, I would definitely recommend watching them on TV uh, so that you can kind of see the horse. And like I said earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, find a horse that you really think looks good, you know, that it's presenting itself well. Um, You know, if it's got a straight uh, coat of hair, it's not wishy-washy, you know, there's no uh, lather coming out of the horse or whatnot, you know, Um, the horse isn't rambunctious. Um, You know, you want their ears pricked forward and whatnot, kind of displaying that they're thinking about things and whatnot. So, it's really, uh, you know, find a, a horse that interests you and and go with it. You know, right. uh, upsets happen all the time in this in this sport, and so just because somebody's a favorite doesn't always mean that they're going to win. And so I really think that the best way to do it is to be comfortable with your bet. Right, be comfortable with it. Like if you don't want to put money on it, you can still do all the handicapping, watch the race, and know that you picked the winner or mm-hmm. picked the horse. You know, just get the comf- level of comfortability for it. Just play $2. If you choose to do that, play whatever. Uh, it should be an entertainment thing. It should be for fun. It's not to be for necessarily uh, hitting it rich and starting to buy your horses. But, you know, that's the end goal that we all have out of this. Yeah, I mean, I really think that whether you bet $2 or $200, uh, it's exciting, you it, know. Yeah. And so um, it, it's it's fun to watch the race itself. And there's a lot of people out there that will just watch the races, you know, and, and you may not bet on every race because you, you don't really have an opinion. And so, but the race itself might be really, really exciting. Right. You know, um, I've seen horses that run slow races where everybody finishes close at the wire. And sometimes those can be more exciting than the quick races where somebody, you know, blows away the rest of the field. Right. Um, and so it's just, it's a really passionate sport. Um, the fans there are excited. The trainers are excited. The owners are excited. 
um, you know, the jockeys are excited sometimes. So it's it's really a sport that allows you to uh, reach out and and see the the different aspects of it. Uh, they're all right in front of you. That's you know? cool. There's nothing hidden. That's cool. Um, I like to open up the just the floor for you to have like any uh, any comments, questions, anything you want to add to the show. Um, I know that we we've talked about potentially coming back and doing more of these episodes where we dig deeper into specific races and horses in the future. Future, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, the floor is yours, JJ. How did you uh, get into horse racing? Oh, how did I get into horse racing? Um, this was really really young. Um, my grandfather took me, my cousins, and my brother out to Arlington Park. Uh, we used to live in the suburbs, and it used to be less than 10 minutes away from the house. Um, so there was a Saturday that we went out there with him, and he took us all there, and he asked us, um, which horse do you like in this race? And we didn't know anything, and we picked the five horse because um, we liked the green, the green color on the five horse. And so he went and put $5 on the five horse for us, as kids, he obviously took and did all the money and stuff like that. But then we won the five horse hit and it was like, okay, we made $15 the total of us. And then he took us out for ice cream. So it was that moment right there. That was what got me into it and always going to like the track was always something that was in reach of us. So, sure. um, that was the first, uh, that was the first moment for me that got me into horse racing and what's kept me into it is like, yeah, maybe I'm not making money off of it. It's a fun experience to go, and it brings family and friends together. Um, it's a great place for you to go to just experience it. You don't have to be an expert for it. So that that's what keeps me going for it. Yeah, you know, the reason I asked that was it's just because, you know, everybody has their own experience as to how they got into the sport. Maybe it's because you listen to a podcast with two guys, right? But at the same time, it, maybe it's because your friend goes one time and you tag along with them or right. whatnot. And so it's really something that um, you can have fun at whether you really want to get invested into it or whether you just want to go have a good time, drink a couple of beers right. or whatnot and, and enjoy the sunshine out there, you know? And so I really uh, challenge people just to go experience it and have fun. And you, you may have a story that you're going to tell 20 years later, you know? Um, you may have a bad story that you're going to tell 20 years later. We sure hope not. But yeah. at the same time, um, there's experiences out there for everybody. And you, you can certainly uh, challenge yourself to, to go try it one time. Right. That's absolutely correct, and I think that's uh, that's a great way to challenge all of you guys in the New Year's uh, to go just take a look at it. It's fun and watch it on TV. It's a good it's a good time. Plus, at the end of the day, if you if you come in close to hitting that winner and it's a photo finish, it's an amazing feeling. Uh, if it's sometimes too, you have to wait a long time. Sometimes for that you have photo to, sign. Yeah, sometimes you got to wait a long time. But if it's twenty dollars, two dollars, or if it's two dollars, twenty dollars, or two hundred dollars on that bet, it's just exhilarating. Um, again, thank you, JJ, for coming and being on the show. Uh, I think that we've uh, exhausted our stocks for this first day, but we will be talking about more horse racing on this show or another show as we go along in the future. Um, thank you again for being on the Opinionated Stance podcast. Thank you again for listening to the Opinionated Stance podcast. Um, my name is Patrick Farrar. This is JJ. Uh, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please send them to us. We'd love to hear any show ideas, anything like that. Um, yep, thank you again. Have a great evening. Bye. See you guys.